Morning, everybody. Good to see you all again. My Machias church family, my forever family. That's what you guys are, my forever family. I hope you uh, don't get tired of looking at one another. Eternity's a long time. I think it's going to be pretty great, though. Hey, how about let's have the kids up here. We got any kids? I know we had a bunch last week. This week, maybe not so many. Come on up. You guys, pay attention to this one. This is as much for you and me as it is for them. And there's going to be some points coming out of this that are definitely going to be in the sermon, and you're going to need to pay attention. Okay, how are you guys doing? Good. Good. I'm so glad to see you. You give my heart joy every time you guys come, and everybody here is so glad that you come every week. Thank you for coming. How many of you have heard of Grace? Yeah. Yeah, I knew a girl named Grace once, but Grace is what? Anybody know? No. Yeah, Grace. Kind of a funny word, isn't it? Oh, I, I know. It means something really good that somebody gave you that you didn't deserve. How many of you have ever been naughty at home? How many of you ever been naughty here? <laughs> yeah, okay. So when you're naughty at home, do your parents take you and put you at the table and bake a big cake for you and bring out presents and say, here? No. no. <laughs> they don't do that. So if they did do that, would you deserve that, do you think? No, we wouldn't deserve it. What you probably deserve is some sort of a correction, right? Some sort of a discipline. And sometimes God does that to us too. But a lot of times, and in the biggest part of our lives, we get all kinds of things that we don't deserve. And so one of the things, and that's what's called grace. And, and let me read you a list of things. This isn't everything, but this is a lot of things. God gives his grace to us in lots of different ways. Number one, he gave us life. He didn't have to give us life. He created us so that we could be with him. And he gave us moms and dads, right? And moms and dads take good care of us, and, and, and that's part of God's grace. He created the family so we could have intimacy with one another and have fellowship and have people that take care of us. God forgives us. When we ask for his forgiveness, that's part of his grace. That's a, we didn't deserve it, but he does it anyway. He protects us sometimes. He sent Jesus so that we could have a relationship with God. Sometimes he makes us strong when we're weak and we're going through stuff that's difficult and hard and God is there. And sometimes he comforts us when we're going through times that are tough. Sometimes he doesn't give us punishments or spankings when we need them. But sometimes he does. But sometimes, even when we deserve it, we get something that's even better. But sometimes he corrects us. All of those things are part of God's grace. There's a verse that goes like this. From the Bible, it's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things, everything that happens, God is working together for the good of those who love him. So if you love God... You have this promise. He's always working things 
for your good. Is that good? Do you think, you think that would be good? If God who controls everything is constantly working things around me, even when bad stuff happens, God will say, I'll use that for your good. Okay, so I'm going to take a minute. Okay. Now, I know we had some issues last week about trying to use our imaginations. Um, <clears throat> this is us. Because last week we said, well, how can that be us? Well, you just got to use your imagination because this is an object lesson. This is us. And here we are in our little lives, right? And we're inside there. And you guys look pretty good. Yeah, you're in there. And this is our life. And we're just going through life. And this is something maybe bad, maybe painful, maybe just something we weren't expecting. And here we are. And God has grace for us. So sometimes when this bad thing's coming along, God takes it away. Takes us away, or he takes away the bad thing. But then he says this, right? He said in that verse... I'm going to promise that I'm working all things together for your good, even the bad things. So here's, here we are. And sometimes here we are. And sometimes here comes this thing that's maybe painful, maybe something we weren't expecting, maybe scary sometimes. Or maybe we just do something that we shouldn't do and God's correcting us. And here it comes. And what do you think is going to happen if, if I poke a hole in here, would that be good? What if something else happened? Now, something bad happened, but what did God do? He used the bad thing to plug the hole. It's not leaking at all, is it? So God took the bad thing, even when it was bad, and he used it for good for you by plugging the hole with the same thing that caused the problem. So that's just an example of God using something that's bad, even when it's bad, for my good and your good, just like he does with this one. All right. Oh. What do you think? We're all going to get wet. <laughs> all right. Thank you, guys. Oh, all right. Just a second. Um, just a moment. We're going to have somebody come up and read our passage for today. But I wanted to share something with you first. Um, since the time I got here 33 years ago, um, guys would gather in the pastor's office before the service to pray for what was going to go on here. Something, something is going to happen here. Something's already happened here. We've worshiped together. And we saw a bunch of little kids come up and get some wisdom from God's word. Other things are going to happen. What we did was we got together ahead of time and prayed that what happened would both glorify God and help us to grow in the likeness of Christ. And so 
we thought about this this week as elders, and we thought, you know what, we've been doing this for a long time, and, and we, get, we would get together in a, in a room downstairs. But we decided, you know what, we would like your participation in that as well. At 9.30 to 9.35, we're going to be gathering right back there in that back section to pray. The same guys that have been doing it downstairs, only now we're going to hope it's you. And pray that what happens in the next hour and a half to two hours glorifies God and helps us to grow in the likeness of Christ. So come join us. And, and, and you don't have to pray. You can just kind of be there. But we would really invite you. Uh, it's very important. This is sacred time. The things that we do here, God is working. When you come, you bring with you the Holy Spirit. And God says, wherever two more gathered, there I am in a special way. And so we want to use this time as productively as possible. And in order to do that, we have to turn it away from us and over to God. And that's what we're trying to do before this starts. So every single week we pray, and every week I pray, God, you bring them the message you want them to hear today. But we're going to talk about that in just a second. All right, so... We are going to have, this is something we're going to be doing now for a while and maybe for the rest of the time I'm here. Uh, we're going to have somebody read the passage that we're going to be looking at. So we're going to be doing that now. So would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all you, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Who we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Thank you. So you're going to see, hopefully, a stream of young people up here every week reading the passage. And Frankie was, was our first, so thank you so much, Frankie. I know sometimes it's a little bit nerve-wracking to get up here, but... There's something powerful about the public reading of God's Word, and we need to re recognize that and honor it. His God's word never goes out void, never. You know, if that's all we ever did was just stand up here and read God's word, God would do something with that. So hopefully with this time, we're going to be looking at God's word, and there's every bit of God's word is supernaturally inspired and has been given to us for a reason. And so on this time, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians and we're just going to preach our way through both of these letters at whatever pace God determines. Now, I've read, or they, they, she's read, verses 1 through 5. I have no idea whether we're going to get through it or not. But you know what? I don't care. Um, I'll just keep preaching until we get done with 1 Thessalonians, however long it takes. But here's what I would like to have happen while we're doing it. Consider yourself a miner. Put on your little miner hat, get out your pick and axe, because we are going to mine God's word for everything we can get out of it. 
And sometimes, you know, we do surface mining, and we just start at the top, and we take a little bit off. And sometimes when I'm doing my Bible study during the week, I like to just read large passages to get the context of things. And, but, but, you know, we need to dig in there at times because God has placed in there these valuable nuggets of gold, and sometimes you got to dig down deep to get them. Right? So, so we're going to try to mine through this, and we're going to go at whatever pace it takes to get through the message that God's given me during the week to give to you. But I don't know how long that's going to take. I know I'll let you go at a reasonable amount of time, but if we only get through verses 1 and 2, then we'll just pick up on 3 next time we get here. But the other thing is, <clears throat> it isn't good enough isn't good enough in God's economy <clears throat> to just mine the gold, put it in a bag, and stuff it in your closet. No. you got to spend it. And so we're going to be mining some gold nuggets from God's Word so that you can go spend it in your life and have it change you. And so we're going to talk about not just what, what does it say and what does it mean, but how does it apply to me and where do I fit into the story? So here we are. We're going to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a brief overview of 1 Thessalonians. And we can talk about just kind of how did this happen. But first of all, I wanted you to know that this was real people. This is, what is this actually? We call it a book of the Bible. But what is 1 and 2 Thessalonians? What are they? They're letters. They are letters written by actual people to other actual people about actual things that were going on in the actual world that God used for eternal purposes. How many of you have ever written your friend's letters? How many of you think that um, 2,000 years from now somebody's going to be digging those babies up and really getting a kick out of them? Probably not. Because it's just us, right? So, so here we know, we know that this was a, a letter written by Paul to a church in Thessalonica. But God turned it into Scripture. Because God inspired Paul to write the words that he wrote. And they are complete and perfect and inerrant and they will accomplish what God wants them to if we allow his Holy Spirit to take the words of Paul in a letter to a church in Thessalonica in a culture that was 2,000 years ago with probably some things that we don't understand in context until we study them. But this is God, God's word. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can take the lessons of God's word and God will apply them to our life and change us into the image of his son. That's what we pray for when we pray for this time. Will God use this word? Now, some of that's up to you. You can be a hearer or not. And then you can be a doer or not. And so one of the things that's going to happen as we preach through this is I'm going to have this. I got it marked out. I won't show you the paper, but it says application. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to challenge you. You need to be asking yourself, where do I fit into this story? God wrote this through Paul to the church at Thessalonica, and he wrote it to you, and he wrote it to me, because he has a message 
for you and me today. So ask yourself, what is God's message for me from this passage? All right, so let's, let me, like I said, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview. Um, I probably, I don't know, I always say stuff that I shouldn't tell you, but then I tell you anyway. Uh, I'm going to try something new today. I'm going to try to actually stay on my notes. I get excited, and I get, I'm passionate about the message, and sometimes I get going and I lose my place, but there is a lot of stuff, and so I'm going to try to settle down a little bit, Tim, settle down, and stick to the sermon that God gave you on the notes and see if we can't cover most of the things without me getting lost. And then, then there's always this thing right here called the clicker, um, and it throws me for a loop most of the time. So we'll see how it goes, but here we are. Okay, so right there, 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> so once again, this is a real letter from Paul. It was written by Paul, probably from Corinth, on his second missionary journey. Let's think about that for just a second. <clears throat> How many of you have heard of Paul and his missionary journeys? You know, he wrote a big portion of the New Testament. It was you know, the, kind of the, the, the real replacement for Judas as God decided to anoint another apostle. And he did it in his own time, in his own way. And he anointed Paul, and Paul did some mighty things through the power of God's Holy Spirit. So God had anointed Paul. And he came to him on the road to Damascus and opened his eyes. He was persecuting the church of all people to pick. God, I mean, if, if that was us, we'd say, God, what are you thinking? Here's a guy that's killing your people, and you're going to pick him? Because God does things different. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And God had a plan for Paul's life, just like he has a plan for your life. You may not be a Paul, but God has a plan for you. But anyway, Paul was anointed by God, and he decides, I am going to go out, and I am going to establish churches. He's an evangelist. He's a church planter, and God has given him that gift, and he's given him a lot of other things, and he has shown him some things that we probably will never see until we die. But he's equipped Paul for a certain ministry that he wants him to accomplish as God is taking his gospel message and most of the time through persecution, driving it out into the rest of the world so that the message of the gospel is spread. Like our object lesson, sometimes through pointy objects. Through persecution, God is spreading the word of hope to the rest of the world. And so Paul does that. And so he goes out on his first missionary journey. He goes around the Aegean Sea, and he starts up and around. He doesn't go that far on his first one. But guess what happens to him? He really makes some people mad. One of the things he does first is he goes to the Jewish synagogue, and he starts to preach the message of the gospel. That is extremely offensive to the Jewish believers that are there. Because he's claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, and they killed him. And he's claiming that this is God, that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah that they were looking for, a man who was going to, to rescue them from oppression of Rome, but this was God himself in human form, and to them that was blasphemy. 
They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, and they certainly didn't see the Messiah, whoever was that was supposed to come, as God. And so he found most of his opposition from his own people. And so he had caused some problems on his first missionary journey, and they took him outside of town and stoned him and left him for dead. I mean, they're using rocks like this, people. I mean, this, this is not meant to just, you know, sting a little bit. This is meant to kill people. This is how they killed people that committed certain offenses. And they thought they'd killed him. But God shook him. I'm going to shake this off. I wonder myself if um, when Paul later refers to, you know, there was a man in the body or out of the body, I don't know, that went to the to the to the. Uh, to heaven and saw some things. I wonder if that was when this happened. And when Paul was, was supposedly left for dead, that God used that. Man, God, you really are a promise keeper, aren't you? So maybe he took that really bad incident and said, I'm going to use this for your good. I'm going to show you what the next life is like because I'm going to ask a lot of you in this life. And so I'm going to show you a little bit of a glimpse of what, the, what you got in store for you, buddy. You're going to need it because this one's going to be hard. And sure enough, it was. And so, I don't know about you. This is my first full-time ministry position. But if I had come from one where they drove me out of town and stoned me, I probably would say, no, no, ministry's not in my future, buddy. No. But what about Paul? No, he said, look, I'm ready to go out again. So he goes out on a second time. And in fact, he goes through the same town that stoned him the first time. So here he is, and he's planting churches, and he goes up around the Aegean Sea, and he's working his way through. And in Lystra, or Lystra, he picks up Timothy, and so it's Paul and Silas, and on their way, he's going to talk about Timothy, that he picks up Timothy in Lystra. And he circumcises him because there's some issues with the Jewish community, and he takes them on his missionary journey, and they get down to Thessalonica. And they get into trouble. In fact, they had come from Philippi. And if you look on your map and you can see most of your, a lot of your Bibles, not all of them, will have the little route that Paul takes on his missionary journeys. Well, he had just come from Philippi. How many of you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? Right? Paul was preaching in Philippi, which was not a big Jewish city. Most of them were Gentiles. And there was this slave girl who could tell the future because she had a demon. And it was making a lot of money for the people who owned her. And Paul got tired of hearing her and just turned around and said, Hey, demon, come out of her. And he did, and the demon did. And so the, the woman was, or the little girl was no longer earning money, and it really made the, her slave owners mad. And so they took him to the magistrate, and they beat them with rods, and they put him in jail. And then it, miraculously that night, um, through an earthquake, the chains fell off their hands, the doors were opened, and the jailer was afraid because, hey, man, if, if, I, uh, if this happens on my watch, I'm dead. So he was going to take his sword and kill himself. Paul says, hey, hang on, we're all still here. But it said, you know what? Paul shared the gospel. Paul shared the gospel with the guy who was keeping him in prison. And it said he and then his old family were saved. God works all things together. For the good of those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose. Here's another one of those examples. Paul was put in prison, and God used it for his own glory 
to further his kingdom. And so they're coming from that, and they're heading to Thessalonica. And so they come to Thessalonica, and he starts preaching in the synagogue. And once again, they, eh, they don't like him anymore. So they get rid of him. And they, but he stays there for a while, at least a month, they say, starting a church. And then they push him out of town. So they escape, and they go down. And Paul goes down to, to Greece, finally, down to Athens. And, but he leaves Timothy and Silas, and they go back, and they're preaching. And so then Paul eventually comes back up to Corinth, and then Silas and Timothy come back and report back to Paul how things are going in Thessalonica. And so this is what this letter is about. This is Paul, after he has heard from Timothy how things are going. Because he, he started this little group. And then he had to leave because the, the, the Jews forced him out of town. But he's really wondering, and he loves them. He started the church. He shared the hope of the gospel with them, and he loves them. And this letter is a letter of love from an under-shepherd named Paul to a flock of sheep named the Thessalonians. And you'll see in this letter that it's very personal, and there's a lot of love that the under-shepherd Paul has for the flock that God has assembled there in Thessalonica. And so he's going to be sharing with them some things. He's going to be sharing with them some encouragement. There's some major themes in here. And, and one of them is a pastor's love for his flock. And then there's some encouragement to persevere under persecution. And, and they had seen the persecution that he had experienced when the Jews came and forced him to leave because they had a plot, they were going to kill him, and so they forced him out of town, and so he's encouraging them, and this is something, you know, John and I have talked about it a number of times, um, this is something that was not uncommon for God's people at this time. They were being persecuted by Rome, they were being persecuted by the Gentiles, they were being persecuted by the Jews. This was not a popular message in a lot of different fronts, and people were paying the price of persecution in order to be called a child of God. And so Paul is, is writing this letter. And in this letter, you'll see at some point, he's going to encourage them, keep the faith. In fact, right in, this, in these first five verses, he's going to tell them, I saw this labor of love as you're enduring. And so um, he's giving them this message, persevere. Persevere under persecution. Hang in there. That's the message to you. God has a message for you. Hang in there. Things are going to get rocky, folks. Maybe you're experiencing it now. Maybe you're not. You know, John and I were talking just before the service about how it must change your life if someone threatens you with your life because you're a Christian. We don't see it much here in the United States, but it could be coming. But throughout the world, there are more people that have died for their faith in Jesus Christ in the last two centuries than the rest of time put together. And so, folks, the message is plain. Persevere under persecution when it comes. And God will grant you the grace to endure. So that's one of the themes. And then there was a theme of moral purity. There was a lifestyle going on in the secular world at that time that was very lascivious. In fact, there were temple prostitutes, and prostitution and sexual immorality were rampant in this culture of Rome at this time. 
And you would see even Christians participating in some of those rituals that involve sexual promiscuity. And Paul is saying, hey, guess what? God has a plan for that part of your life. And it's not the way that culture is telling you. It's not the, the message that you're hearing. Do we hear a different message about that today? I think so. You think this is very relevant for today? I think so. And so Paul is going to address that. You know what? God has a plan for that aspect of your life. And if you want to glorify God, you need to do it God's way, not your culture's way. And so he's instructing them about moral purity. Another one of the themes is the correct understanding of the coming of Christ. There were a number of them that were saying, Paul is giving them the message. We're going to be talking about that later in Thessalonians. The second coming of Christ, what does it look like? Because they were afraid, or some of them were afraid that they'd already missed it. There was messages going around, hey, the second coming already happened, and you, you, were not, you weren't there. Or they're, they're quitting their jobs, and they're, and they're standing around and being lazy because, hey, what's the point? God's coming back any time. Let's just whoop it up and have a big party till it happens. And so Paul is correcting the view of the second coming of Christ. And we're going to see that in, second, in first and second Thessalonians. He has a message of hope for those believers who might die before that happens because there was another incorrect message that, hey, if you're, if you're dead, you have no hope. You, you need to be alive when Jesus returns because, hey, if you're dead and gone and you're turned into dust, then what's God going to do then? You're just gone. And, and he corrects that. He says, no, those who have gone to sleep will not proceed, those who are awake. So God says, when I come back, we're going to see this in First Thessalonians, in Second Thessalonians, that at the twinkling of an eye, then there's going to be a resurrection of those that have already died, and then in the twinkling of an eye, those will be changed that are still alive. And so we will all be there, those that are God's people, will all be there for the second coming. And so he needed to correct that, and that's part of his message. He also gives them a more clear understanding of the divine nature of Jesus Christ, that he indeed was God, that he indeed was sent by God in the form of a man to atone for the sins of mankind so that we could be reconciled back to God. And this is the only way. And so the deity of Christ was, was a philosophy, was a point of theology that was very much misunderstood at the time. In fact, it took a long time. That was one of the things the church struggled with in its early time together was, what exactly was this God-man? Was he all God? Was he all man? Was he part God? Was he part man? Uh, did he just kind of have the form of a man, but he wasn't really there? He was a spirit with the form of a, of, of a body? Or was he an actual man and in the, in the, in he was just born like a regular guy and then G Jesus came in and inhabited that body for a while and then came back out of it? So there's a lot of confusion about the divinity of Christ in the early church. So Paul answers some of those questions in 1 Thessalonians. Then he talks about something that we're going to be talking about a lot. The effect that Christianity should have on our everyday life. You know what? That's what it's all about. Because the Bible tells us that true saving faith always accompanied with life change. Why do I know that? Because it says in there that I put my spirit within you and I have the intent. You have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so when you were saved, you got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's intent and has the resources to change you back into the image of Christ. 
And that's what he's doing. And so if none of that is happening, you may want to question, hey, did I really accept Jesus as my Savior? Because Paul is, is seeing some of those things. And there are other messages that are going to show up in Christianity that say, hey, you're saved. It don't matter how you live anymore. Your, your ticket's been punched. You're on your way to heaven. Just live it up in the meantime because God's died for all your sins. You think we hear that one today? We do. And it's wrong. And so Paul is taking some time, and he will give us the message in 1 Thessalonians that it does matter how you live, that saving faith is always accompanied by life change. Okay. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it made it into the, to the bulletin. I'm not sure if it made it into the website this week, but I had written a little blurb about this that said, hey, uh, I'm going to start this message with a brief overview. Maybe it wasn't quite as brief as I hoped. Anyway. Here we go. First verse, Paul. We know that's the Apostle Paul. Um, very little in, in the history of the church has the authorship of this been questioned. It was a little bit, but with no real merit. So we pretty much know this was written by Paul. Uh, and, and he was traveling with Sylvanus here, but it's actually Silas. And maybe you remember that story. Paul came back from his missionary journey. He had Barnabas with him. They had taken a guy named John Mark he had gotten himself, or they had gotten themselves into trouble, and he kind of gave up and said, hey, man, this isn't for me. He came back to Jerusalem, and then the second time they were going to go out, Barnabas says, well, I want to take John Mark with us again, and Paul says, uh-uh, and they got into a big argument, and then Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go somewhere else, which is Mark, of the writing the gospel of Mark, same guy, and Paul decides, hey, we're going to take Silas. And in fact, the, the brotherhood, they said at the time, felt like God made it clear to them that he had anointed those two, Paul and Silas, to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he left. Again, they pick up Timothy on their way. And so there they are. And he's writing this after the report back from Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he uses this, grace and peace to you. Um, you can read this a lot. Um, there's a number of Paul's letters that start this way. So we would call that a greeting, right? Or a you know, preamble to the, to the letter. How many of you ever do that in your letters? Probably not as much as this. But in their style of writing letters, they have this greeting section at the front. So at times we have a tendency to take that like, okay, well, let's just go on to the real message. Does God waste any words? No, he doesn't. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to scare you. Uh, I preached from the book of Colossians, and it's almost identical in its first five verses. It's almost identical. So I was down there at Wishram uh, filling in for Charlie when he had his uh, brain tumor. And so I show up, and I say, okay, I'm going to preach through the book of Colossians. I preached the sermon, the first sermon on one word, grace. And I preached the second sermon on one word, peace. And they said, man, three and a half years to get through Colossians. One word at a time. So I'm just telling you, these words are worth a sermon at least. I'm not going to do that to you, I'm gonna, but, but I'm, I'm seeing what time it is already. And, and this is probably about as far as we're going to get today. Verse 1 going to be a whole lot easier to prepare next week's sermon. <laughs> oh, okay. 
I'm telling you, you don't understand. It's all about grace. I could go through that list that I give the kids, and it could be five times longer than that because we don't understand it's all about grace. I live because of the grace of God. I exist because God did not vaporize me the moment I sinned, which is what he should have done because he is an awesomely holy and perfectly just God, and I deserved it, so did you. We are here gathered together because of grace. God forgives us every day because of grace. God has given us the tools to overcome the challenges in our lives because of grace. Everything that you have is from God and it is from grace. Grace is the basic element that allowed God to have us exist after the fall. How many of you have seen the movie Apollo 13? Okay. We love that movie. I've probably seen it 10 times. So I'm not going to use, I don't want to stretch the illustration too far, but they were in a spacecraft. It exploded. It caused a massive malfunction in the craft itself. The people on the ground understood that there was a problem. And they, and they knew that the spacecraft was disabled. They were on their way to the moon. And so they got in this big room in the movie, and they're trying to come up with solutions and, and say, are we going to slingshot them around the moon and bring them back, or are we going to turn them around right away and bring them back that way? And, and, and they were talking and arguing, and, and everybody had their viewpoint about what they should do. Finally, one guy in the back says, guys, you're, you're missing it. This is all about power. Because if they run out of power, they can't use the, the, the booster rockets to get them pointed the right way. They can't use the navigation software. They can't even eat. It's all about power. This thing is going to run out of power before they get even close to getting home, and they're going to die. And at that moment, everything in that room changed, and the only thing they were thinking about and figuring out for the next step was how do we save power? I want you to do that with grace. I want you to recognize that grace is everything. Why? Well, first of all, let's take a look at the definition of grace. And it is the Greek word, charis, unmerited favor. What do those two words mean? Something really good that I did not deserve. So I'm hoping that you understand that everything you have is undeserved and it will cause you to quit thinking like an owner and start understanding that you are nothing but a manager. God has given you everything and we want it to be this kind of partnership where, yeah, I do stuff and then God does stuff and maybe God helps me do stuff. But everything that you have to do stuff came from God, given to you as a gift of grace so that you could do it. You think, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm resisting the flesh, and I'm doing my part to battle against sin, and, and I made the decision to accept Jesus Christ. And God says, I gave you everything. Quit trying to take credit for it. You are a steward of everything you have because of grace. 
unmerited favor. All of what I have, even my measly efforts at trying to be good, only can happen because God gave me the ability to do it. Everything, everything about you and your life is a gift from God. Hopefully, that will readjust our perspective like it did in Apollo 13 and say, i got to think about what's important here. What's important here is that it's not about me, that it's all coming from God, that God is in control of everything, and the only reason we exist and can be reconciled back to God and can go to heaven and can do good things and can have faith and can have patience and can have kindness is because God gifted it to me in the first place. Quit trying to take credit. Because that's what grace is all about. You're right. You didn't earn it, but you got it because God loved you. And that is a message that we have to spread to the rest of the world who is dying, trying to earn something out of life on their own, and they're failing miserably, and they don't know where to go next because the culture has robbed every bit of hope out of their lives. And this is what we have, and this is hope. And we can say, God, help us through grace, take what you've given us through grace and spread it out to the rest of the world in, a, in, a, in the world that we happen to live in personally every single day. By grace, I've been saved through faith. This was not of my own doing, but it was a gift of God, lest any of us should get a big fat head, which we do. So we're going to be looking at this, and the rest of the sermon is going to be, I'm going to have a little thing at the bottom and say, sit, here's grace again, here's grace again, here's grace again. I want you to remember that word grace as we go through this entire letter of Paul and understand where do I fit in? Where is this talking to me? Because by grace, God has opened your ears to the truth of his word, and he will change you by grace if you let him. Next word, then we'll finish. Peace. That's a Greek word as well. There's a couple of scriptures here I need you to see. <clears throat> that was justified by grace, and it's no longer grace if it's based on works. Otherwise, can't call it grace anymore. <clears throat> How many of you are thinking about uh, a tattoo? Well, if that ever comes up, <clears throat> take Romans 11.6. Put it on your forearm and quit trying to earn your salvation. Quit trying to earn your sanctification. All right. Next one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a very interesting concept. We probably don't have as much as God intends at any one point. It is a very, very difficult thing to achieve. Why? Why is that? Um, there are three, I mentioned this yesterday at Men's Breakfast, there are three types of conflict that I think we all are involved in. Two of them you can fix or God can fix. One of them is going to continue on. The first conflict that you have was the first one here in Romans 5.1. Until you were reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and atoning sacrifice, you were in a war with God. God created you a certain way. You were broken. Once you were broken, you were on opposite sides of the war with God. A war you were never going to win, which carried with it death. Capital punishment. 
And so even if you didn't recognize it, and even if those out there who don't know anything about God, don't know anything about the Bible, have never accepted Jesus Christ, they are at a war with God, whether they know it or not, and they are losing. And that causes conflict because God put within us certain things that we need to feel satisfied and, and have joy and have some sort of peace in this life. And when I don't have God, I don't have access to those things. And so that peace has been disrupted, and there is no way for me to get it outside of God. And so we are at a war with God before we accept Jesus Christ, and that causes a loss of peace. And what do they do? They try to find some sort of their version of peace by pleasure, by accomplishments, by having people like them, whatever it is, and then they can't get it. It just isn't there because they have been disconnected from the source of true peace. So the first thing that has to happen in order for you to have peace is you need to be reconciled with God, and the war with God is over. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Second one, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So he's telling us, here's the message, guys. You can live by the flesh, and it is nothing but death and no peace. Or you can live a life by the spirit. And that's where you will find peace. And in fact, it says, hey, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you, and I'm going to give you as a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And so we, we have an internal conflict. We've been saved, but there's still part of us, this fleshly part of us that is in there, and it is battling all the time. Read in Romans, Paul's saying, hey, there's this battle going on inside there, and I don't know what to do about it. And, and, and I want to do good, but I do bad. And the very thing I hate to do is what I do. It's not me doing it. It's the sin that lives within me. And that is an internal conflict that we have to wrestle with every day. And God has given us the solution. He has cut our chains to our old sin nature. He has given us the Holy Spirit with the purpose of changing us so that we can put to death that battle and find internal peace. You, you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can have peace within yourself by submitting to God's Holy Spirit, and the gift of peace will silence or at least weaken the conflict that goes on inside the lives of everyone as they are struggling with their new self and their old self. The third source of conflict is from the outside. We live in a broken world with broken people and broken stuff. We're broken still a little bit. And Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me... You may have peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He has, but we still live in a broken world, and it still is a source of conflict. And we're going to be talking about in here and other times that there is a way to world-proof yourself and live outside your circumstances and still have love, joy, peace, and comfort and satisfaction regardless of the storm that is raging around you. And that's what God is promising. So when he uses those two words, grace and peace, this is not just some throw, throwaway thing off the cuff that we just started a letter with. These are an unbelievably important concepts to understand. I have grace. Through that grace, I have access to peace. Let's pray. Dear Father, your word will never go out void, and we are so glad. We need it. We need to be changed. We need the keys to the battle that we're in, both against the world, against our own flesh. And you have the key because you want us 
through grace to have peace. That's part of your abundant life. In order to take advantage of that, we have to be changed by your Holy Spirit through the power of your word. Lord, I just pray that that's what's happening today, that, that these words from your word will change our hearts and give us the abundant life right now that you have made available. And we already know the hope that's going to happen in the next life, and we understand that that is supposed to fuel us now. Lord, we just pray that you'll do that. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in us and through us. In the name of our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.